Welcome to the European Vascular Podcasts. My name is Melina Vigadeceni. This is Vascaway Podcast. Our guest speaker today is Dr. Jonathan Beard, consultant vascular surgeon and professor of surgical education from the University of Sheffield, UK. Hello, my name is Jonathan Beard, and in this podcast, I want to discuss the medical legal issues surrounding informed consent. I work as an expert witness for medical negligence cases where patients sue doctors or hospitals for surgical errors leading to adverse outcomes. During more than 20 years of medical legal work, I have noticed a steady rise in the number of cases where there have been deficiencies in obtaining informed consent for invasive procedures. So what can you tell us about the legal background of informed consent? The landscape for obtaining informed consent changed dramatically a few years ago in the UK. These changes mirror similar ones that have occurred or that are being planned in other countries. So, this podcast should be relevant for all vascular surgeons and interventional radiologists. In the UK, much of the legal framework is determined by legal precedent. That is, a court judgment may become law unless appealed or overridden by another judgment. This is what happened in the UK with regard to informed consent, and the relevant judgment is referred to as Montgomery. This is because the case involved a lady called Nadine Montgomery. Nadine Montgomery was a diabetic lady of small stature, and diabetics often have large babies. Vaginal delivery of her large baby was complicated by shoulder dystocia, and this resulted in anoxic brain injury leading to cerebral palsy. Prior to delivery of her baby, she had asked her obstetrician whether the baby's size would be a problem for a vaginal delivery. The obstetrician reassured her, but did not discuss the alternative option of a caesarean section. Mrs Montgomery successfully sued the obstetrician because she said that had she been fully informed of the options, she would have asked for a caesarean section. The obstetrician did not help her case by saying in court that if I offered a caesarean section to every pregnant diabetic woman, they would all want one. The UK Supreme Court upheld this decision on appeal in 2015. Prior to this case, the Bolam case established the Bolam test, which asked whether a responsible body of clinicians would support a doctor's conduct. The Bolam test had been previously challenged and upheld in the appeal court by a majority of judges in the Sidaway case. The judges in the Montgomery ruling unanimously rejected the application of Bolam to informed consent. However, the Bolam test does still apply to clinical management. And what is the current situation? The Montgomery case has redefined the standard for informed consent and disclosure, with a shift from medical paternalism to patient autonomy. A patient must now be told whatever they want or need to know, not what the doctor thinks they should. A doctor has a duty of care to warn of the material risks of a treatment and the risks of benefit of all treatment options must be discussed. The test of materiality was defined by the Supreme Court as whether a reasonable person in the patient's position would be likely to attach significance to the risk or the doctor is or should reasonably be aware that the particular patient would likely attach significance to it. 
What are the implications for vascular surgeons and interventional radiologists? We vascular specialists must offer impartial advice on all treatment options for a particular vascular condition. These treatment options often include best medical therapy, endovascular intervention and open surgery. The specialist's role is to ensure that the relevant information is presented in a way that enables the patient to make an informed choice. Obtaining consent from a patient on the day of a procedure is not acceptable unless there has been a discussion about the treatment options beforehand and this discussion and the decision of the patient has been documented. The process of informed consent is aided by written information about the procedure and it should also be documented that this information has been given to the patient. Treatment options should also be informed by evidence from the literature and current national or international guidelines. They must also adhere to an acceptable level of practice and this particularly applies to novel treatments. If a treatment is not available locally, it must still be discussed and the patient referred elsewhere for that treatment if that is their decision. I will now discuss two examples from my own medical legal practice where alleged deficiencies in the consent process has formed the basis for litigation. The first case involved a 68-year-old man with unilateral intermittent claudication and an exercise distance of 200 metres. An MR angiogram showed a short, severe stenosis of the mid-superficial femoral artery. Angioplasty was recommended by the vascular surgeon in the outpatient clinic and consent was obtained by the interventional radiologist on the morning of the procedure. Distal embolization during the angioplasty resulted in trashing of the runoff and eventually a baloney amputation was required. The patient successfully sued the hospital because of inadequate consent and failure to follow the UK national guidelines. These guidelines recommend offering a supervised exercise programme to all claudicants and also say that angioplasty should only be offered to patients who have not improved with exercise. His lawyer successfully argued that if he had been offered an exercise programme and been fully informed about the risks of angioplasty, he would have opted for exercise rather than angioplasty. The second case involved a 77-year-old man with a 6cm asymptomatic abdominal aortic aneurysm. He was fit for open repair and also suitable for endovascular repair. He was advised to have an open repair on the basis of the current UK national guidelines but insisted on an EVAR. The EVAR resulted in distal cholesterol embolization, and he ended up with bilateral baloney amputations. He sued the hospital for failing to adhere to the national guidelines but was unsuccessful because of a thorough consent process which had clearly documented that an open repair had been recommended but that he wanted an EVAR. Those are very interesting examples. Some other areas of consent which might cause trouble in the future are the use of drug-eluting balloons and stents and the use of DOAX like rivaroxaban. Recent studies have suggested an increased long-term all-cause mortality associated with Paclitaxel. This needs further investigation, but at present, patients must be warned of this risk. Otherwise, their relatives might sue you if they die. Recent studies have also shown a benefit from the addition of rivaroxaban to the prevention of adverse events in patients with peripheral arterial disease. However, 
this benefit comes with an increased risk of major bleeding and so the pros and cons need to be discussed and documented. What's the take-home message? In summary, informed consent for many elective vascular procedures is not a one-stop event. It requires written information in advance, discussion of all options and documentation of agreed decision. If a treatment option is not available locally, then you should consider referring the patient to another centre. Guidelines are helpful to guide decision making and for justifying clinical management, but they do not excuse poor consent. Thank you very much, Dr. Beard, for this very educational podcast. This is an Ask Away podcast. You ask the question, we answer it. Until our next podcast, have a great day. Thank you.